I have got amazing news. I'm so excited to share that we have our first fitness fertility baby of 2023. Hooray! Mum and baby are doing fantastically well. Mum was a fitness fertility client and she found me through the Fitness Fertility Podcast. And this is why I am asking you to please subscribe and to please share the podcast. By sharing the podcast, you help other TTC sisters. And by subscribing, you make the podcast easier to find. You never know who you will be helping with their own TTC journey. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are discussing the second key player when it comes to hormones and fertility. We are discussing the mighty progesterone. Roisin, now that you're a self-confessed oestrogen lover, how do you feel about progesterone? I have a healthy respect for progesterone because when you are going through the perimenopause. The kicker is oestrogen. It gives you lots and lots and lots of different types of symptoms. And some of them could be quite bizarre, like itchy skin and you know sore joints. Every part of you, from your mind to the soles of your feet, seem to get affected. Progesterone, it only manifested in me when it started to affect my sleep. So I started waking up between one and four o'clock in the morning. And when I did some research on it, it was progesterone. I have a healthy respect for it. It's really important if you like your sleep, but I'm sure it affects so much more things. This is the awesome thing about progesterone. So you're absolutely right. Sleep is key. And we've we've actually talked about sleep before, haven't we? And the importance of sleep and egg quality and all that stuff. Progesterone is so, so important. We're going to go into how important it is. Just as a, a reminder, In your normal cycle, first half of your cycle, from period through to ovulation, it's oestrogen. You know, oestrogen's there, having a great time, levels are rising, and then ovulation happens. Hooray! Second half of your cycle, this is where progesterone comes out. The luteal phase, this is progesterone's time. And this is where progesterone is so, so, so important. And it's also why, if you're tracking your um, basal body temperature, This is why you are hotter and you may even feel hotter in the second half of your cycle because progesterone actually increases your body temperature. It's there to prepare your uterus for implantation. And then the other reason that progesterone is so important, which may be the first thing people think of actually, is it's absolutely vital for a healthy pregnancy. And I know a number of women who unfortunately experienced pregnancy loss. And when they looked into the issue, progesterone seemed to be the issue from what they can tell. They were given progesterone supplements, which you come on to later, or the progesterone levels were increased and they then went on to have a healthy pregnancy. And again, I'm not saying for sure that that's what it was. And even when they were telling me, the doctor said, listen, it might not have exactly been this, but they ended up with a lovely, healthy baby at the end of it. It's massively important in pregnancy as well. A friend of mine that had a baby via IVF, they could pinpoint that it was the implantation stage. 
that she was failing. So obviously she was getting pregnant and her husband had, let me say, stellar sperm count. <laughs> uh, I remember thinking he should put it on a T-shirt. You know, it was one of those where... You're like really impressed by, oh my God, I'm so impressed by your numbers. They obviously were in that horrible, unexplained place for so long because everyone was healthy, everyone was fit, everyone was in good shape, everyone was ovulating, everyone was producing massive amounts of sperm. But what they found was when they went through, and they went through IUI and then they went on to IVF, that that was the failure point in their process mm. it was mm. at implantation and I remember her telling me that she was she would get a funny symptom around what she felt was implantation time her body would feel a bit strange when you're going through a natural process there's absolutely no way you would have been able to identify this mm. this is one of the things we've been exploring recently in particular is tuning into your body it is really important to be as mindful as you possibly can but the flip side of it is, and anybody that's been on this trying to conceive journey will know this, and I've <laughs> shared many a time that I did Google, I have a sore toe, can I be pregnant? That is a true story. Turns out, like I've said before, you can be. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's really difficult to get this balance between absolutely tracking everything and going way too far down the line. Like some people will say they can feel implantation. Some people will say, I absolutely felt it. And I knew I was pregnant and they were right. You know, they, they were absolutely right. They went on to have a baby to that day. But for other people, tracking to that level is just too hard. And we, we will talk about this later, but it's just really difficult to get that balance right. What I know a lot of people do is they, they go hard. It's like when you first go to the gym, they go hard. They're tracking everything. Their cervical mucus, their BBT, absolutely everything. Three months in, four months in, five months in, they are just so exhausted because you're thinking about it all the time. And this is, I think, part of the problem with fertility. You're thinking about it in your meeting at work because you're like, well, what day of the cycle am I on? You're thinking about it when you're in the co-op buying your milk because, again, what day of my cycle am I on? Is my BBT going to go up tomorrow? It can be too much. Trying to get that balance right is really tough. And I completely get that, that we're so in the weeds. We're so micromanaging this. It becomes our entire lives. But I am given a lot of hope by the fact that it's starting to get spotted now. It's starting to be addressed now. And it's all part of being informed. Knowledge is power. And that's why we're talking about progesterone today, because oestrogen gets a lot of the spotlight. But progesterone, it's there and it's working hard. Progesterone comes into its own in the second half of the cycle. And there are a couple of reasons for this. As with all hormones, really, but including progesterone, it's massively important for implantation. In the second half of the cycle, it's doing everything it can to get you ready for pregnancy. So for anyone trying to conceive, progesterone is your friend. It's doing everything it can. It's getting that uterus nice and cosy. It's helping you develop new blood vessels. And it's creating this lovely environment in the hope that your egg has been fertilized and that the embryo will then settle in nicely into your uterus. It's like it's making the bed for you. Come on, egg. I'm rooting for you. Let's get nice and cosy. So progesterone is it's there and it's working hard. If the egg isn't fertilized, then what happens is the lining that's been built up by the progesterone, it breaks down, as I'm sure we all know, and that's the beginning of your period. And progesterone kind of goes, okay, fair enough, we'll try again next time. Okay, oestrogen, you're back. You know, oestrogen takes back over and we start again. But the cool thing is, if the egg and the sperm have been fertilized, progesterone has made your uterus nice and cozy. 
so that when the embryo gets into your uterus, hopefully that lovely implantation can take place. And what then happens is the levels of progesterone are now going to stay. They're going to stay high. This is absolutely crucial for this really healthy pregnancy. And the reason the levels of progesterone stay high is because your corpus luteum, which is linked to your follicles, basically, that doesn't break down if you're pregnant. And it's the corpus luteum that produces progesterone. If you're pregnant, corpus luteum stays and keeps producing progesterone. And this is what's really important in maintaining this healthy pregnancy. We've got lovely blood vessels. We've got a lovely blood supply. And it's just building up your endometrium. And it's helping provide really important nutrients to your beautiful developing embryo. And a little bit later on in pregnancy, once the placenta is formed, that also produces progesterone, which again is just really cool. These just keep your body nice and healthy. It also stops your body from producing any extra eggs. So this is why you don't have periods when you're pregnant, because your body knows it's pregnant. Your progesterone levels are high. We don't need another egg. Thank you very much. And so this is how the whole cycle happens. And that can also trigger lactation. So this is why I love progesterone. To me, it feels a little bit like an underdog. You know, it's not the sexy one, but it's grinding. It's working hard for us. What is the corpus luteum? When you release an egg from your follicle, it's the bit on the follicle that's left over after your egg is released. And that's the bit that then produces progesterone. And that's why your levels start to rise in the second half of your cycle, because you've released this egg. Again, what's really fascinating for anyone with fertility issues is, particularly for people with PCOS, which I'm aware of because I have PCOS myself, if you have PCOS and you're not having regular cycles, this is why your um, hormones go all to pot, because if you're not ovulating, you're not releasing an egg. If you're not releasing an egg, you're not releasing progesterone. If you're not releasing progesterone, the next half of your cycle doesn't kick in either. So you get stuck. And this is why sometimes women that are testing for ovulation on our ovulation predictor kits, you know, the smiley faces or the lines, quite often we get these really weird patterns where it looks as if you're going to ovulate. You're like, I'm going to get, I'm going to, and then nothing happens. And then a week later, oh, I'm going to ovulate, I'm going to ovulate. Nothing happens. And it feels like your body is trying and trying and trying and it, it just gets stuck because oestrogen and progesterone have this beautiful relationship. When everything's going well, they work really beautifully together. When one is high and when one is low, but they need each other. They rely on each other. So if one's wrong, the other one gets wrong as well. So people with things like PCOS, if your hormones are out of sync, it just messes everything up. And this is why people get stuck in all these slightly unusual cycles and your body's trying its best. But if one's off, the other one's off. So they have this really beautiful relationship together. And that's what things like the meds do. They bring back this really nice relationship between the two of them. I see this like a seesaw. When one's up, the other's down, and they kind of turn each other on and off in a way. As someone who suffers from PCOS, does the problem lie with PCOS in the oestrogen part of the seesaw or the progesterone? Which one comes first? I don't know, is the honest answer. Because one can set the other one off and then you get stuck. What's weird with things like PCOS is since I was lucky enough to have my pregnancies, my symptoms have been much better. And this really weird thing has happened where my cycles are now much more regular, even though I was only ovulating once a year and even though I needed Clomid, my cycles are now much more regular. And it's one of these weird things that happens. So somehow my hormones, I wouldn't say they're fully balanced <laughs> based on my moods, but they're definitely a little bit more balanced. Could it be a version of hormonal muscle memory? I needed fertility help for both pregnancies. It definitely didn't magically fix itself after 
my first pregnancy. And I was kind of hoping it would, but it didn't. So I guess it just depends on your own particular biochemistry and, and what your body decides to do. And everybody is different. And that's the thing, you know, we're giving general support here, but at the end of the day, everybody is different. It is fascinating that it's gotten slightly better though after pregnancy. I know it's bizarre, but it didn't after the first pregnancy. And I'm older now. It's so weird. It's so interesting. I can tell you, I was shocked when I had a regular cycle. I nearly fell over. My app was right. And that has never happened to me before. My app went periods due and boom, there it was. And I just thought, well, this is a whole other world. This is total sidebar, but I'm throwing it in. For someone that didn't have regular periods, as you said, used to have like one a year. How did you come to terms with the relentlessness of periods? And just to take a step back here, I think this is why if you're in your 20s, you're not trying to conceive and you don't have periods, you probably don't give it a lot of thought. And this is what we've talked about before. And this is part of the danger. Because to be quite honest with you, happy days. I'm not having PMS. I'm not having the cramps. I'm not having the horrendous skin. I'm just kind of, you know, flatlining all the time. And I think that's why with fertility, it is really quite dangerous because it goes unnoticed. You're quite happy not to have any of those problems. Now that I, for some bizarre reason, have more regular cycles, I have to say I don't love the regular PMS. I don't love the backache and my skin flare ups happen every kind of four to five weeks. I can fully appreciate why me in my 20s and why other people in the 20s are absolutely fine with not having cycles. And this is part of the danger of infertility. And it isn't until later when you're trying to conceive that you realise as fun as that was, actually, <laughs> that's quite a big problem. Sure. Where I am in my stage where I'm missing every single hormone, I miss them really badly. The idea that you had to rock around with hormones <laughs> for so long. I think you're going to take your 40s in your stride, Maria. You're going to absolutely rock it. I'm going to rock it. What are the clues that you might have a little bit of low progesterone? What do they look like? So there's lots of different things that you could look for. And again, the danger with this is, similar to what we said last week, actually, the danger with this is unless you're actually paying attention, you might not notice some of these. So it does come back to you. Really start to track and really start to pay attention to your own body. But things that you would look for for low progesterone, if you do have a cycle, but it's quite short, if it's shorter than 24 days, could be a sign. Irregular periods, like we've just said. Low libido, so really just not been in the mood, you know, but less than normal, just not in the mood for sex at all. Hot flashes, again, migraines or headaches. Mood disorders in terms of, you know, depression and anxiety. No menstrual cycle at all, you know, like I experienced. Sore breasts might happen. One of the big things with progesterone is also spotting between periods as well. That's quite a biggie for progesterone. Your blood sugar might be impacted. Vaginal dryness. All of these things can be linked to low progesterone. But as always, you know, if you're ever worried, go to your doctor. You know, this is just general advice for people. What I did learn, and actually I have to be honest, I didn't know this. You can get home testing kits to measure your levels of progesterone. Now, again, I would like to say, obviously we advise go to the doctor always, but I just didn't even know that was a thing. So that was one new thing I learned. I would even be interested in that to see what my levels were. Me too, just out of curiosity, to be honest with you. Sorry to interrupt, but I know that you want a baby in 2023. So I'm excited to tell you about my all new training plans. Many of you are fed up with trying to lower your BMI alone. You feel confused and you're overwhelmed with the information around fitness for fertility. And you really just want a baby. My training plans are designed to support you at whatever stage of your fertility journey you're at. Whether you need to lose £12 or more to reach your target BMI. Whether you need accountability support 
and whether or not you need meal plans to support your healthy eating and BMI. Head over to www.fitnessfertility.com forward slash training for fertility to find out more or book in for a free consultation at fitnessfertility.com forward slash free consultation to discuss your own personal fertility needs. And now back to the show. When thinking about that list of symptoms for having lowish progesterone, it doesn't sound great. I got me some low libido with a side of vaginal dryness. I'm getting hot flushes. If I can support my body to not endure those things, I'm absolutely happy with that. So yeah, why not? Have a bit of a test. Again, it's something you can obviously bring to your doctor. This is something that I think might be scuppering me in my fertility journey. Here's more evidence. Whatever it is, if you are having a regular period, if your cycles are shortened 24 days, if you are having hot flashes and vaginal dryness, especially if you're in 20s and 30s, you actually shouldn't really be having those things. So even if it's not linked to progesterone, they're not healthy symptoms. There is something not quite right there. If you're having any of those, we would always suggest go to the doctor. Maybe it's low progesterone, maybe it isn't, but it is definitely something to look into. Can I ask a question about the menstrual cycle being shorter than 24 days? I would always count my menstrual cycle from period to period. So my period ended on the 1st of January and then I'll count my 21 days. So if you have low progesterone and you're not having periods, then how can you ascertain how long or short your menstrual cycle is? That's the thing, you can. All of this comes with the, the kind of proviso of if you can. There's a couple of things here. If you are having a cycle and it's short, that is a thing that you need to be aware of. Okay, so that is an issue in itself. If you are not having cycles at all, and by not having cycles, what I mean is if they're erratic, if they're 24 one day, 37 the next month, you know, that is also not a thing that should be happening. The other way of looking at it is what you want is regular cycles that are roughly the same each month and roughly the same within that normal-ish range. So, you know, 28, 32, roughly around that that length of time. But if they're absent or if they're completely irregular or if they're very, very short or very, very long, they're not supposed to be. So go to the doctor. And I'm assuming you can't count the spotting as a menstrual bleed. This is another thing that makes tracking hard. Some people only bleed, say, three days. And for some people, it's not very heavy. So for those people, if you are having spotting between periods, you genuinely might not know if it's your period or if it's spotting. And again, this is why in some ways infertility is really cunning, because sometimes you just don't know. And it might take you years to realise, oh, that wasn't actually a bleed. Track it as much as you possibly can. We don't all sit round a fire anymore and compare. We're all in silos and my period is my period and your period is your period and we only know our own experience. If you have a hormonal problem that has been with you since you went through puberty, having a light spotty period, if that's your normal, that's your normal. You've got nothing else to compare it against. I also think that spotting, it's kind of like giving a little bit of hope. When you're on this journey, you look for anything and you look for any sign of hope. And it might not even be a conscious thing that you're doing, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Anything that gives you hope, you will absolutely cling on to and completely, completely understandably. Why wouldn't you? It's a completely normal thing to do. So again, it just goes back to tracking and knowledge is power. Apart from hormonal reasons you have low progesterone, is there any environmental links that are also not working in your favour? Unfortunately, yes. Hormones, biology. Okay, fine. That makes sense. Other causes of low progesterone. 
obesity. The obesity will cause many issues, as we know. We've talked about fat before, and we've talked about fat is not a passive tissue. Fat actually interferes with your hormones because it's actually an active live tissue. So unfortunately, obesity can um, interfere with your progesterone levels. Chronic stress, which I am the first to say is unhelpful when you're going through infertility, but chronic stress can be a problem. What stress does is it releases another hormone, cortisol. And again, cortisol can interfere with your other hormones. So all the hormones can mess up the other hormones in your system because what we want is for them all to be nice and balanced. So if you're releasing too much of one, it then messes up the others. So chronic stress releases cortisol. Cortisol then messes up everything else. A poor diet, bad for your health, might link into obesity, but a poor diet is unhelpful as well. Thyroid issues can be an issue. If you've got underactive thyroid, that can be a problem. That can have a big effect on lots of things, actually. But hypothyroidism can be a problem. If you've got elevated levels of prolactin, that can be an issue. Low cholesterol can be an issue. Like I've mentioned before, if you have PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, obviously that's very much linked to progesterone. Menopause, like we've talked about before. We are obviously talking about fertility and we're not officially a show about the menopause. We know that for anyone that's in their 39, 40, 41, 42 kind of age range, one of the things you do need to be aware of is that the kind of perimenopause symptoms might be beginning to sneak in. And um, it's not guaranteed and it's not for sure, but it is just being aware that if you are particularly later on, unfortunately, some of those symptoms might be sneaking in. And to echo that, this podcast is about fertility. Where the two intersect is on hormones, because one, perimenopause, menopause, women suffer from a lot of the symptoms of women that have low estrogen, low progesterone. The second intersection is that you tend to have the same menopause as your mother. I can't stress this enough. I'm going to stress it by saying it again. You tend to have the same menopause as your mom. She's still with you. Go and ask her what age she started to experience the symptoms. The reason is because you do tend to follow the same track. So if your mum, for example, has gone through an earlier menopause, it's best to know that now. That will give you some time scales, and it also will give you more information to go to the doctor. If you can speak to someone about it, it might just be good to have that conversation. Because actually, Roshan, like you were mentioning earlier, we're not sitting around the fire, multi-generations now sitting around the fire talking about these things. There is an evolutionary reason why women talk and it is to share information. But this is the type of information that would have been shared and people don't talk about it at all anymore. So, yeah, if, if you can speak to people, I think that would be massively, massively useful. OK, so we'll put ourselves in that position where we think we have low progesterone and we've maybe done the home kit, maybe we're basing it on symptoms. We've had all the chats with all the relatives and we need to go to the doctor and we need to get this properly checked out. Is there any specific tests that we have to look out for, anything that we specifically have to ask for? The starting place that a doctor will go to is a blood test. And this is where the kind of famous, infamous day 21 blood test comes in. For anyone that's going through fertility treatment, because Doctors know that across a typical cycle, this is where your progesterone will rise and this is where your progesterone will fall. What that means is they've got data. They've got data on at this point in your cycle, this is the level your progesterone should be at. So to give you an example, pre-ovulation, a rough idea of your progesterone level, and it's measured in nanograms per milliliter, you would be less than 0.89. Okay, around ovulation, you're looking at less than or equal to 12. There's charts, there's information. 
So what they will do is they will ask you to come in for a day 21 blood test. And this is this is a really interesting blood test. They will ask you to come in for a day 21 blood test. They will measure your oestrogen levels. And if your oestrogen levels are within what they would consider to be the kind of normal range, then they'll say, happy days, you've ovulated. Sounds very simple and straightforward. However, the day 21 blood test is based on the idea that you ovulate on day 14. If you do not ovulate on day 14, when you come to do the day 21 blood test, so for example, I ovulated on day 20 once. So me doing the day 21 blood test when I was on a Clomid was a complete waste of time. Absolutely pointless because my levels, you know, they're not a week in at that point. So again, just as an aside to this, knowledge is power, you must track. So if you have not ovulated until day 20 and your doctor says come in for a day 21 blood test, just say, with all due respect, I will come in for the day 21 blood test, but can I come in every two days? And to be fair to my GPs, they were absolutely brilliant. And they just said, look, come in every two days until we get the right day. I ended up having a lovely relationship with my GP. They would send me the results of my day 21, 23, 25 blood test by text. And on one of them, I just got a note that said something like, levels are really high, she'll be delighted. Because basically what that meant was... My levels were high because I was in the very, very, very early stages of pregnancy. It actually stressed me out in some ways because I was like, oh, my God, my levels are high. I need to do a test immediately, you know, but it was lovely. So that is how you would officially find out if your progesterone levels were doing what they're supposed to do. But please be aware of the day 21 dilemma, as I'm going to call it. Just track your cycle. Go for about a week after ovulation. And I'm assuming that you're using predictor kits to nail that ovulation date. Exactly. As much as you can. Please remember that with ovulation kits, they measure your surge in LH. So what ovulation kits do is they tell you you are about to ovulate. You need to be careful because you need to use the OPKs before ovulation. You get the spike, you get the smiley face, go, 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 do the baby dance, as it's called, over the next couple of days. What you then need to do if you're into all the tracking is you then measure your BBT. Because if you have ovulated, as we've said, that's when your temperature will go up because your progesterone has gone up. So ovulation kits before ovulation, temp tracking after ovulation. And if the two match up, if you've got a smiley face and then a few days later your temperature goes up, then hopefully, you know, they're all good signs that you have ovulated and and you can narrow it down at least to 24, 48 hours, give or take. So then you can properly plan the 21 day test. For everyone out there that does not understand what BBT stands for, So BBT is your basal body temperature. This is where you take your temperature. It has to be at the same time every day. There's some really funny stories. You do it before you've done anything, okay? You wake up in the morning, you try to move as little as possible because you don't want to mess up your data. So you have your thermometer as close to your bed as you can humanly get it. So you only have to kind of move your finger. You don't want to be you don't want to be moving anything, right? If you could just magically get that thermometer in your mouth, you would do that. So you need to do your BBT. You absolutely cannot go to the toilet before doing your BBT and it has to be at the same time every day. So if you wake up at half past six in the morning for work, Saturday comes. Sorry, people, you've got to set that alarm. You wake up, you do your BBT and then you try and get back to sleep. Because your temperature rises throughout the day, if you take your temperature an hour later, your data is going to be off. So there are some very funny situations where, you know, you have to plan very carefully where that thermometer is. And also tip for anyone measuring, get a thermometer that's to two decimal places because your temperature might go up by a hundredth, not a tenth. 
And that's key when you're tracking. So don't get the one decimal places. You need to spend about a pound more and get the luxury of two decimal places. That is a top tip for you all. If you have a partner, get your partner to. Yeah, get them up <laughs> and measure your temperature. It's a funny image in our head, but one of the things that um, women really struggle with, and this is not me being disrespectful to men, is a lot of this does fall on the women. The tracking of the BBT, the tracking of the cervical mucus, the weeing on the sticks, the men can't do that stuff. This is why it becomes a very heavy load for the woman to carry in a lot of ways, no matter how fantastic your partner is. But it's the woman that has to track. It's the woman that has to remember to be on the stick. It's the woman that has to get the thermometer. It's really quite a heavy load. And I personally have known that I was not pregnant because my temperature had already dropped. My period hadn't come yet, but I knew that I wasn't pregnant anymore. In some ways, actually, it was a bit of a relief because when my period did come, I wasn't taken by surprise. I'd already grieved that loss as I saw it that month. The ones that get you are when your temperature hasn't dropped yet. So I've also had the opposite where my temperature hasn't dropped yet and I've gone into work and I'm a little bit like high as a kite because I'm like, well, hang on a minute. My temperature hasn't dropped yet. I'm still in. And if you look on all the forums, this is what people say. I'm still in. I'm still in it. My temperature's still up. Or I'm out this month. My temperature's dropped. That's what that means. And that's a very common phrase that people, people in the support groups will say, I'm out. Temperature's gone down. That's why. It really does play on you a lot because you're constantly thinking about your temperature. You're constantly looking at your cervical mucus. It's a lot. There's a lot going on for women to, to carry. Oh, absolutely. It's like the worst kind of performance review. And there it is every single month. Is there anything you can do from a diet or, or exercise point of view so you can feel like that level of control that you can move the dial just a smidge in a positive direction? The good news is that even without any type of hormonal support from the doctor, there are just some really lovely things you can do just to support you. Well, foods don't increase progesterone. They don't have progesterone in them. But what you can do is eat foods that do support healthy hormones in general. And a really key one to look at here is magnesium. And this I thought was so interesting. So magnesium as a whole plays a really key role in hormone regulation. You must make sure that you're eating enough magnesium, you're getting enough magnesium in your diet to boost your progesterone levels. And this is because magnesium it helps regulate the pituitary gland, which is a, a gland in your brain that regulates your hormones. That links into your FSH, your follicle stimulating hormone and your LH, your luteinizing hormone and your TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone. But long story short, you need to make sure you've got enough magnesium in your diet because magnesium helps your hormones to work. Other good things are vitamin C. Research has shown women that take vitamin C have significantly increased levels of progesterone. And one particular research found women who took 750 milligrams of vitamin C per day had an increase of 77% in the levels of progesterone, which is massive. L-arginine is an amino acid. This is found in high protein foods. Really, really useful. So we're looking at lentils, salmon, pumpkin seeds, chicken, pork um, and lean beef. Nice, healthy, whole foods, not processed foods. But these ones in particular are, are to support you with your progesterone levels. What would your training recommendations be in this part of the cycle? This is the part of the cycle where you want to take things just that little bit easier. There's lots of reasons for this. If you're trying to conceive, you're going to be in the two week wait because we're in the second half of your cycle. This is why I like to do a lot of um, low intensity, kind of pregnancy friendly workouts. But also your body's working hard. You might actually feel a little bit more sluggish, particularly if you do experience things like PMS. 
lower intensity workouts, perhaps lifting not quite as heavy if you like lifting in the gym, lower weights, less intensity, try and get the nice yoga stretches in there. Yeah, definitely take it easy. So we've talked about low progesterone. Is high progesterone a problem? This is the really interesting thing. Because your progesterone levels raise anyway, when you do get pregnant, high progesterone isn't as much of an issue. Really, the main thing we're looking at today is low progesterone, because when it comes to fertility, that's much more of an issue. So just to recap, we have covered a lot of information in today's show. When it comes to your normal cycle, you've got estrogen in the first half. Second half, you've got progesterone. Progesterone is actually super important for fertility, gets your uterus nice and cosy, ready for that embryo to nestle in, and then maintains a lovely, healthy pregnancy. So progesterone is out there doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So we don't want low progesterone. Good news is there are lots of lovely foods that you can take to help with low progesterone. And training wise, in that second half of your cycle, this is also going to be the the bit that's in your two week weight. Take it a little bit easy, lift a little bit lighter, lower the intensity a little bit to really work with your body, track everything. And hopefully your progesterone levels stay high and you can go on to enjoy a lovely, healthy pregnancy. But progesterone, I love progesterone. I'm rooting. It's an underdog, but I'm rooting for progesterone. It's working hard. And remember, everything that you track, you can take to your doctor and say, this is what I've learned. Knowledge is power. And consistency is key. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Roshi. Talk about consistency. Maria, who will we be speaking to next week? Next week, we have another fabulous guest on the show. We are delighted to welcome David O'Rourke. David is a clinical embryologist and amongst other things, he is the founder of ProFertility, which are a fantastic organisation who are changing the face of infertility education and support. So I am delighted to have David on the show next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.